We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Hello? Toronto, Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm about as excited about a roster turnover that I just saw with the Miami Dolphins over the last year as I can remember any time here in just the recent past. I mean, hey, what they've done in a year is phenomenal. I mean, they've, they've changed our whole outlook. You kind of just said it. I mean, we kind of went to a point of the year where we're like, I don't know if they're going to ever win a game. And then, you know, the last half of the year, they were competitive as hell. And then added to that with all the moves they made last year, tra- you know, trading guys to get money off their roster and off the, the salary cap and all that. But then you look at their additions this offseason and free agency and the draft. I mean, you could really argue the Dolphins won the offseason. Welcome back to the AFC East Roundup Podcast brought to you by the Rock Pal Report. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Chris Sims. NBC Sports. Talking about the Miami Dolphins winning the offseason. And that was the sound of me opening the last of the Utica Club. Chris, I genuinely didn't think this day would ever come. It was only 30-pack. It would eventually come. Usually that's... If it was during the season, that would be two weeks of football. Because <laughs> you generally drink 15. Folks, Chris, as a punishment, bought a case of Utica Club. 
And I've been forced to drink this swill during all of our podcasts for the last couple of weeks. I got to tell you, now that we're at the end, I'm almost sad to see it go. Almost. Yeah, well, we do have a bucket of moose head in front of us. <sighs> Thank God it's back. Chris, Chris, is there a finer Canadian beer? Uh, I don't think so. I prefer Moosehead over your Labatt, over your Molson. But this Utica Club, Chris, this was a different experience for me. Not Fire that into the sun. Not in my adult life have I had a Utica Club. Chris, I had to go back. I had to rack my brain going back to high school when we stole it from my friend's grandfather. I could see friend of the show, Bob Kateris, showing up with a case of that at a party. That's more of a Mark Smith thing. Well, because generally... Generally, when you're in your 30s and you go to a party and you bring beer, by now you have a job, you have a little bit of money, <laughs> you can spend on a, on a nice local IPA or a nice ale. But Mark Smith and Bob Gutierrez, I expect to show up with a 30-pack of Utica Club, Schmidt, Didn't or Mark, Schlitz. Mark famously showed up to one of our tailgates, Chris. With a cold bucket of KFC chicken from the night before, yep, an Entenmann's coffee cake, and a 30-pack of Schmidt. And he is a lawyer. <laughs> He's a lawyer. <laughs> oh, God. Chris, this is one for the record books. My, hopefully, last Utica Club. And what, and, and what a better time to do, what a better time to imbibe and just really kind of drink down this swill as we talk about probably... One of our, I want to say Bills fans, most hated divisional opponents, the Miami Dolphins. And so without further ado, I want to bring on tonight's guest for the first time here on the Rock Pal Report, Mr. Elf Artega. How are you doing, sir? Very well. Now, you are the host of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, a podcast that I found and I've got to say I'm in love with already. And that sucks being a Bills fan. Because, Chris, do you know how hard it is to want to go out of your way to listen to a podcast with a bunch of people who you know are talking about a team that you're supposed to hate? Yeah, I get that. Now, Mr. Ortega, if you want to now, just to let our listeners know a little bit more about you. You previously worked in media. You have a background as a TV executive. You've done some, or at least a producer. You've done some work in a number of different fields as far as media goes. How long have you been a Dolphins fan, and how long have you been working on Dolphins-related media? Well, the first time I ever watched the Miami Dolphins was 1981, which would make me about eight years old. And I remember watching them lose to the Chargers in that great game that went three overtimes. And I remember missing. I remember watching Uvo and Shaman miss all of those field goals in overtime, and <laughs> The very next season, I watched the Super Bowl that year, which was between Cincinnati and San Francisco, and I was just hooked. I was hooked on the sport. I was hooked on the NFL and hooked on the Dolphins. And sure enough, I was lucky enough, being at such an early age, that the following year they made the Super Bowl So and lost to the Redskins at the time. So, you know, I got a very early introduction into the, the sport and had a really good team to root for. And then, of course, Dan Marino came around. Very early in my fanhood, so that had to be nice. I mean, I think that, that that mirrors a lot of Bills fans, like Bills fans around our age, is that we were children when we got to watch arguably the best quarterback. I mean, they're Hall of Famers, but the best quarterback yeah. our franchise has ever had. We got to see that, and that kind yeah. of, I don't want to say that it 
kind of shaded our fandom over the next 20 years, but it kind of, it, it shows you what could be. And then once it goes away, it kind of leaves you with a bad taste. <laughs> it, it's, it's rough. Now, the three yards per carry podcast. I, I like your format. I like your setup. Tell us a little bit about your show and about your partners and how this all kind of came to be. Well, we all have like a, an analytical background and especially as far as the draft is concerned. But Simon is more of the journalist. He travels the SEC every year. Chris is an analyst. And I'm more of a fan or fan list. Uh, I don't know how you can say it. <laughs> but I also play a little football in high school and a little college football. So I have a background in the sport. Love the sport. Like the technical X's and O's of the sport. So does Chris. And we all enjoy the draft. So we're more draft-centric in the offseason. But when the season comes along, we are heavily X's and O's. See, now that's funny to me because my background is I went to school for journalism and I work in finance because there was no money in journalism. <laughs> I got out of college and just said, okay, well, I got to do something. And Chris has a background in radio production. And I'm a machinist. I'm the only so. one who knows X's and O's here. Chris Chris has been coming around. He's been kind of finding himself. He surprised me in a couple podcasts recently. Yeah, we had a, we did a show last week where I, I get a good football idea probably about once every four years. And <laughs> Drew wasn't a fan of uh, A.J. Epineza coming out of the draft, and I equated it to the only good defensive end that Drew has seen here in Buffalo is Jerry Hughes, who wins with speed and bend and AJ is, I guess, going to be a power guy. So Drew doesn't like that because he hasn't seen that be successful in a Bills uniform. I, I the, don't let the blonde mohawk. I know it's got to be off-putting, uh, Elf, but <laughs> don't don't let him fool you. Every now and again, he's got a spark here. So you guys, your show—it's been wildly successful over the last few years. But one thing I heard you talking about in a recent show that I was listening to—you guys took some time off this summer. What the uh, the month of July? Right? Pretty much. Yes. Now, is did you guys previously try to podcast for the entirety of the summer? Yes. <laughs> but we always take uh, a couple of weeks off. This year we took three weeks off in July. Uh, last year we took three weeks off because sometimes there's this dead spot in the summer where there's not much to talk about. And there's just so many times we can go over the running back room. <laughs> and we can feel our listeners being bored to death. So we would just take a, a little break. And, you know, to offer a good show for our listeners and our sponsors. So, you no. know, and, and instead of, you know, I don't know if we can curse on the show. We can't curse on the show. Yeah. Oh, OK. Instead of bullshitting people for three, you know, for three hours in a month, we were just going to, you know, just take the month off and actually give them good material. Like we will coming this Wednesday of this week where we will preview a training camp. So. So that's why we took the time off. See, Chris and I went through that where we used to do, we would do biweekly podcasts in the summer. That's why I was interested to pick your brain about it and just hear what your experience was like. Because we would go biweekly in the off season, and then the season rolled around and preseason came. We would ramp up back to weekly podcasts just to get our listeners used to looking for our show every week, kind of to get us back in a groove. Mm -hmm. And then this year, COVID happened. And honestly... I had way too much downtime, and I told Chris, I don't know that I can do a full summer with nothing going on and also not podcasting. i got to get out of the house. <laughs> i got to get out of the house and do some stuff. <laughs> so we just kept burning through this, and I'll tell you, it's taxing. 
It really is. For anybody out there listening at home who wants to try it, be my guest. Start a podcast and try to run it all summer long when there's nothing to talk about in terms of football storylines. But so with that, we want to get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show. And it starts with the Miami Dolphins and their biggest offseason storylines. And I guess one of the biggest is just kind of what you heard Chris Sims talking about in the intro. From tank to turnaround. I mean, how hard is it to shift your mentality, Chris, and your expectation as a fan when you just went through something like the Miami Dolphins? You gotta, it's got to be weird looking back at where the Finns fan base was at this time last year. Tank yeah, for- last year was was tough, and I remember the season started and we knew it. Uh, we had it in our minds. This was the worst roster we had ever seen, uh, and for the Miami Dolphins, the worst. It was there, there was just no redeeming quality whatsoever in the entire roster. Whoa, whoa! Don't be, hey, don't say that about our boy Ryan Fitzpatrick. Come on, the Amish <laughs> rifle. <laughs> But at the time, some people were holding out hope that Josh Rosen would actually start. I didn't. I had written a piece for FiveReasonSports.com where I hated the trade for Josh Rosen because I just think he's, he was damaged goods coming in. And I think he'll be damaged goods going out. But there was nothing redeeming about that team last year. And we knew that they were headed for something bad. But in the end, we all, you know, since we are a draft-centric podcast in the offseason for two years we were talking about what we considered the best quarterback prospect coming out since maybe andrew luck and that was Tua tonga by aloha well and that's for, who we wanted tank for Tua was trending on social media that was very very pretty real pretty much throughout the course of the year i mean yes. chris when's the last time i mean i know social media is relatively new and that we've gone on record as to saying that without this podcast you and i wouldn't use twitter no that's we, not something we, would we do. wouldn't but Tank for Tua trended, like usually when you see something trending, it goes for a week. It goes for two weeks and then it dies. Yeah. This thing went on for 17 weeks. Hashtag Tank for Tua was somewhere in the top 30 of things being talked about somewhere in the country. Fans were celebrating the idea that while they couldn't win, they just might be bad enough that something fantastic could come out of it. It yeah. was hope. So, shockingly, it's this weird thing. I, I equated it, Elf, to the hope that Andy Dufresne must have had when he was crawling down that pipe out of Shawshank. Like, yeah. that's what you guys must have been like last season as this was going on. Now, fast forward to 2020. How much different does it feel sitting here today looking at this Dolphins team? Well, look at everything that's gone on. Uh, they went from one of the worst teams in the history of the NFL in those first five games. And I think verifiably, their first three games were the worst three games ever played to start an NFL season, if I'm correct. <laughs> if somebody has other information, you can correct me, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Where can they tweet we, at you? <laughs> yeah. We went from that to then all of a sudden being surprisingly competitive in some games. To being very, very fearful that we had just blown this whole tank for Tua thing. You mean like the Buffalo Bills game where you guys came where you guys came into Orchard Park yes. and your defense had our quarterback completely flummoxed to the point where my criticisms of him made an eleven year old child in front of me cry. I thought that was the Eagles game. Nope, that was the Dolphins game. <laughs> a, a, a woman turned around and looked at me and said, You've you're hurting my son's feelings. That's his favorite player. And when she said it, I expected that this kid would be 
five to seven because that Chris isn't that the kind of the requisite age where criticisms of your favorite athlete could make you cry? Yeah, the kid was like twelve years old. Although I can't tell you, I can't tell you this: uh, Josh Allen absolutely terrifies Dolphin fans down here <laughs> because even in the games that we've won against Buffalo, which hasn't been many in the recent in recent history, I think it's one. He's actually gone crazy against us, <laughs> and we seem to not have any answers for him, especially late in games. So, you know, he's the opposite of Sam Darnold and Tom Brady, to be honest, because we, we had a, a habit of beating Tom Brady consistently, including last year at the end of the year, when we thought we had just buried that tank for two of them. That was one of the greatest. No, do you know that was one of the greatest moments? You guys delivered one of the greatest, like, we left our Bills game early that day because we're, there's nothing left to play for. They benched our starters. It's fine. We're going to go home. It's raining here anyway. We're going to go home. We're going to drink beer, and we're going to watch these afternoon football games. And to watch Ryan Fitzpatrick go down the field and lead a game-winning drive in what would go on to be Tom Brady's last regular season home start. Yes. You guys own that for all time. No one can ever take that away from the Miami Dolphins that at the end of 2019 – the Miami Dolphins beat Tom Brady in his last regular season appearance in Foxborough. So, yeah. congratulations, we went, from that, we went from that to having, I guess, a lot of confidence in our new coach, Brian Flores, from taking what we considered one of the worst rosters ever assembled and winning actually five games and being competitive in about three others. So you almost beat and, the Bills right up until that onside kick that we scored for a touchdown. The and they completely board. blew that that Washington game too at yeah. the goal line. So like you could make a case they could have won seven games with that roster, which was insane. So and they go in the off season and they essentially buy everybody. Well, that's this is what I wanted to bring up here: the wholesale change of the roster at multiple positions, specifically mm-hmm. on the defense. First of all, have they ever blown up their team like that in your time as a fan? No. Okay, no, you've never seen a team just where, blow where it up and this start. Much turnover. So I want to play something for you that we Bills fans, Chris, I swear to God, I still get the PTSD chills when I hear this, but I want you to play it. I, I told our players today that to win July, we've won the offseason. I, I would challenge any team. I, I think we've won the offseason. But we need to win July. That was Rex Ryan, former Bills head coach. I'm sure uh, buffalobills.com. I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, want to wanted to put that in the back of their head like I never want to hear that again. Well, you know what you just did. That was our second year of podcasting and our coach, the bloviator Rex Ryan was telling us that we had just won the off season. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Fantastic. <laughs> and yet with his crooked teeth and his bulldog appearance, he couldn't get us to the playoffs. Now the thing that's now, I hear Chris Sims in the intro to tonight's show talk about he thinks the Dolphins won the offseason. And I think that that normally, when you're talking about the Dolphins in that phrase, comes with negative connotations. Because think it takes me back to the days where the Dolphins would go on a spending spree for players that ultimately would flame out. Mario Williams and Dominican Sue. Dominican Sue. I mean, every summer, though, my Dolphins friends here in Buffalo would give me mountains of shit. Talking about how this is our year. We're going to win the division. <laughs> when you hear won the offseason, does it make you cringe a little bit? Yes. But this one is a little bit different in one respect. It comes accompanied with a lot of luck on draft day and falling to number five and taking the quarterback that we've been wanting for two years. 
So if winning the offseason comes with that, and with a guy in, frankly, in Byron Jones, who we really, really liked on the podcast, then I'd say, you know, I'll take it. You know, I'll take good players. And especially uh, the remakes that we've done on the offensive line and defensive line, which were absolutely necessary because were, those were terrible units last year. So, yeah, we get, we'll take it because anything's better than what we had last year. And getting to Otunga Bailoa at number five was, if we had done just that, we would have been very, very happy with the offseason. With everything else that went on, you guys must be over the moon. Yes. Now, And then, of course, Tom Brady <laughs> essentially retires to Tampa Bay. We actually hosted Mark Schofield. Um, Mark Schofield, host of the Sco Show over at patspulpit.com. He works for USA Today's uh, Touchdown Wire. We had him on the show, and we had him read this, give his essentially a one-minute eulogy to Tom Brady. We played taps. It was really emotional. We kind of let him spill his guts about what Tom Brady meant to him. And then we followed it up with, uh, we popped bottles of champagne, and there was cool in the gang, and it was a party, and yeah, <laughs> we're, we're a petty, petty b- bunch of people over here. Now, as a fellow podcaster, just breaking down the fourth wall for the listeners, is it as, because Chris, we've lived this, is it difficult as the host of a podcast that has suffered for years while covering a team that disappoints you? I mean, I think we're kindred spirits mm-hmm. in that regard. Yes. <laughs> To suddenly see your team doing the quote-unquote right things. Yeah, it is. And it's odd. And certain people keep I'm, – I'm more of an optimist. But certain people keep waiting for a piano to fall on their heads <laughs> in, this, in this, uh, this the fan base. Like if you go on Twitter especially, if you look <laughs> at Miami Dolphins Twitter, everybody's just waiting for the next shooter drop. They're waiting for Tua to get hurt. They're waiting for who knows what else to happen. They're waiting for Xavier Howard. To, to get injured again. But I'm not. Like, I'm looking at this team, and I really like what they're doing. Like, and, and I've been critical in the past, but they seem to be making every right decision, and we have a coach that is the polar opposite of everybody we've had here since Jimmy Johnson. Chris, what does that so, sound like? Who does that – what team in the division finally got some competent management in place? I don't know. Kind of – Kind of sounds like the Patriots. It kind of sounds like a team that brought in a new head coach and then built some things around a culture of not being quitters, about only wanting tough football players, about culture-based, we'll call it. Yeah, I mean, there's... The Patriots, the Buffalo Bills, and now the Miami Dolphins. Like, these three teams all of a sudden share a common trait that for 20 years, one team has used to just dominate the division. Actual yeah, their common leadership. their common trait is that they don't have Adam Gase as their head coach. <laughs> yes, I am a fan of any and all Jets shade, especially when it relates to Adam Gase. But so now you guys are. It seems like you guys are heading in the right direction. But I've got some questions. So mm-hmm. moving on, the Dolphins made a, de- a decision or two that I have questions about. A month or so ago, we took an in-depth look at the way the Bills ended up at number one on ESPN's continuity rankings from 2019, 2018, and just how they kind of stacked up across the division. I took it back even... That's what I did, because I have a sickness. I make charts. I like data trend and, trend and data analysis. That's what I, it's part of what I do for a living. It's I bring it to our show. So looking over it and just seeing how the continuity rankings this year that ESPN put out landed the Bills at number one and how the rest of the division stacked up in those regards. 
One of the things that I noticed was that, and I think it's dramatic, Brian Flores makes changes at both offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, making the Dolphins the only team in the AFC East not bringing back both of those positions from 2019. Not Not just in the AFC East, but one of the few in the entire NFL to fire both coordinators and bring in two replacements. Now, what is it that you thought drives Brian Flores to make those shifts in his staff? Well, on defense, uh, Patrick Graham, I was at camp last year, and I noticed how much, how hands-on Brian Flores was, especially with the defense, and how Patrick Graham really didn't have much to do last year. <laughs> That's My not guess. Good. My guess is that Patrick Graham, during the season, figured out, you know what? I, don't, I, I shouldn't have taken this job because I'm just a puppet here. And I wouldn't put too much stock in whatever happened there because this is Brian Flores' defense. He's the one who runs it. He's ultimately the guy that makes all the decisions. Well, And that's the thing that surprised me because when I looked at the guy that he brought in, it's defensive coordinator Josh Boyer. So mm-hmm. he spent 2019 as the DB coach for the Dolphins. No experience as a defensive coordinator. He spent no. time with the Patriots the same way Flores did, so he's a guy Flores trusts. I'm sure he's a guy Flores knows. I, I mean, I think one of the cons that you look at is him with the defensive coordinator position is that he's essentially a figurehead. Kind of the yes. way when Rex Ryan was the Buffalo Bills head coach, this guy is just he, Rob Ryan was our defensive coordinator at one Dennis point. Dennis Thurman. Dennis Thurman. As if any of these guys actually matter. You know that it's Rex Ryan making decisions. Now, that can be a double-edged sword because uh, we felt that for the first couple of years here, Chris, didn't we? Yes, we did. In Buffalo. Sean McDermott, being a defensive coordinator as a head coach, was very hands-on with the defense, which, all to his credit, elite. But when you look at the offense and what they've been able to do, it seems like Sean McDermott really doesn't have a lot to do with that group. And I feel like part of it might be just his natural tendency to things, and part of it might be because of how he's wired. He doesn't know a ton about it, so he's willing to defer. Do you see those same tendencies out of Flores on that side of the ball? Absolutely. And and you can see it in, in the coverages that they play and the style of player that they're bringing in here. There's no secret that Calvanoy and Brian Flores are close, and not close as in head coach, player close, Close as in, you know, he goes over to his house for cookouts and such. Okay, they're like actual friends. And it was one of the easiest predictions we could have made in the (laughs) offseason when I was saying, he's a free agent. Trust me, Kyle Van Oy will be here in a Miami Dolphins uniform by the end of the offseason. And sure enough, they went out and they got him. One of the things about Kyle Van Noy is he's just that jack-of-all-trades who's – but he's – you know when you talk about a guy who's good at a lot of things but not a master of any – yeah. Kyle Van Noy is a guy who's slightly above average at all things. He's never mm-hmm. an elite player, but when you uh, all of a sudden you'll look at the stat sheet at the end of the game and you'll go, wait a minute. He did work out there. I didn't notice him, but he was out there. And he strikes me as a Flores guy. I mean, to your point, you talk about what the, your team was able to accomplish down the stretch. Once Flores got buy-in from your roster, they started to produce. And yeah, they finished the season five and four, you know, I mean, and you're, you're talking about the worst roster in the NFL, one of the worst rosters ever constructed, and they finish in a nine game stretch five and four. And they have wins in that group uh, against playoff teams like Philadelphia and the Patriots. 
So, yeah, you got to be happy with that. You got to be happy with what they did down the stretch. Oh, absolutely. Now, when you look on the offensive coordinator side of things here, Chan Gailey, Bills fans. That was odd. Yeah, right? I saw it and I laughed because I didn't know whether it was a good thing or bad thing. I was like, I don't even know what to make of this. Mm. He's still around. He, they're going to give him a clipboard again. Chris, they're going to give that man a headset. I can't wait to see what Miami's screen game looks like. <laughs> oh, my God. It was one of the – Chris, to his credit, he's going to be inheriting a much better wide receiver group in Miami than he ever had here in Buffalo. I mean, Donald Jones and David Nelson were his wide receiver one and two. Or no, two and three. Yeah, it's Stevie Johnson Stevie as Johnson. one. He had, so he had yeah. one talent at wide receiver, and everybody else was just guys – who should probably be coaching somewhere. Yeah, Shane Gailey has a way better talent pool to work with for what he wants to do. And I'm curious as to how you see him fitting in here with this Dolphins team. Well, Simon Clancy on our podcast remarked, and he looked up the stats, that the last time Chan Gailey was a full-time offensive coordinator, nobody used four wide receivers more than him in the entire NFL. So it made sense when he got here. You know, We looked at, okay, what's our best unit on the entire team? It's either the secondary or the wide receivers. Now, since then, you know, you know, we have we have had a defection. You know, Albert Wilson is opting out for the season. So, you know, we considered him our third best wide receiver and one of our slot guys. So that that hurts the unit. But yeah, if you look at our wide receiver unit, yeah, it's probably the best one in on on the team. And if Changeli's gonna incorporate those guys more into what they do on offense. That's going to be a good thing. So his 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 concepts and what he brings to the team are it's interesting to me. First of all, just his familiarity with Ryan Fitzpatrick is interesting in the sense that you guys just drafted this shiny new quarterback and you brought in an offensive coordinator who essentially gave Ryan Fitzpatrick the best years of his career. Yeah. Then he he he's been the coordinator for offenses that have never led to good performance by the tight end groups which is something that you guys invested a little bit in in terms of draft capital. And also you brought in Adam Shaheen, which I'm not scared of that guy. I'll, I'll level with you. But I know no, but that— but Mike Gusecki was pretty I, damn good towards the end of last say, year. I was going to say, towards the end of last year, Mike Gusecki finally started showing flashes of what he might be and what, he, what, you, what the Dolphins probably saw him as when they drafted him. So is there any concern that a move to a Changeli-type spread offense might kind of— force Gasicki into a back seat, or do you think his physical skill set allows him to kind of be a threat at wide receiver or play some of the, maybe take up not the Albert Wilson role, but play like a third or fourth wide receiver role? Yeah, well, uh, at one point in the offseason, uh, people were asking, okay, who's really the slot guy on, on this group? Because Albert Wilson has always played his best outside, and Preston Williams and Devontae Parker have always played their best outside. So who was the real slot guy? Is it Jakeem Grant? He's more of our gimmick guy. So who was it? Was it Alan Hearns? Well, he opted out. Okay. The short answer was Mike Gusecki. That's your slot guy. Okay. He's going to be on the field. and he's, he's essentially just a big wide receiver. So I don't think it'll hurt him in that sense. I think if, if anything, the one positive I can see from this is that Changeli uh, likes to incorporate lead ISO in his run game. And they went out. And if you're going to run lead ISO, you need one cutbacks. And if you're going to run lead ISO, you need a really good one cutback. And I think they got one in Jordan Howard. And then they got a, a home run hitter in Matt Breda to do the same. So 
The signing you know, of Matt Breda really rounded out that position group for me because honestly, I looked at it as a, I mean, it, I, I thought it was interesting because here I am going, okay, you brought in Chan Gailey, the guy who often here in Buffalo, you, I mean, they drafted CJ Spiller, Chris. He often utilized running backs in the passing game. And you kept, I, I kept thinking it would be awesome if you guys had a running back that just could catch really well, could get upfield quickly. You know, foot in the ground and go, make a player. Man- oh, wait, you had that. You had one of those and you traded. Yes, and I was <laughs> I was vehemently against that trade. But Kenyon Drake is, that's another thing. Uh, Brian Flores, for whatever reason, seemed to be just like Adam Gase. Very interested in not having a bell cow and having a running back group carry the load. And Kenyon Drake, for whatever reason, has never been that guy to actually share carries and play well. He was here when Jay Ajayi ran us into the playoffs that year in 2016, including with two 200-yard performances against your Buffalo Bills, by the way. And, <laughs> and the following year, we had Jake, that Jake Cutler fiasco, <laughs> and Kenyon Drake gets handed the starting job because we traded everybody else away, and he was great. But for whatever reason, every coach that comes in here doesn't like Kenyon Drake. And evidently, neither did Brian Flores, and he traded him. I was completely against that trade. I think he's going to be really good in Arizona. But, you know, now we're making with poor man's Kenyon Drake and Matt Breda. And a guy who, you know, a pretty damn good reclamation project and Jordan Howard. People forget this guy is still young, and he was damn good three years ago. No, he has upside. Now – I guess the thing, Chris, the final thing in terms of offseason storylines, talking about a quarterback of the future, you've landed it. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance he becomes the quarterback of today? I mean, after all the talk, you guys didn't have to trade up to get the guy you wanted to a tag of Viola. Now, I, I am an Alabama fan. And I take a lot of shit from people about that because they're just like, oh, why or how? You you live in Buffalo. You're not. It's a long, complicated story. But I've been watching Alabama since just before Nick Saban got hired. And I've been rooting for them. And then when he did, I was like, oh, snap. This is what it must be like to be a Patriots fan. I'm not giving this feeling up. This is great. My football team is always in primetime games and they win a lot. Awesome. So... Watching him play in college, I can tell you he was the most talented quarterback to ever come out of Alabama. He might be one of the most talented, one of the most cerebral collegiate quarterbacks I ever watched play the game. He Mm -hmm. just always seemed to know where guys would be. He had a feel for the players around him. When guys went down with injury and they had to put in a backup, didn't matter. When he had to come off the bench without having a game plan in the national title game. Didn't matter. Unflappable, that kid is. He's got what it takes. You you said it. he was one of the more generational talents since Andrew Luck. That's not that far off. And I know there's Bills fans out there who scoff at this idea. It scared the hell out of me, the idea of you getting him. Now the question is, now that you have him, and he got a clean bill of health this offseason, he's heading into one of the toughest offseason situations that for probably any rookie quarterback ever. New NFL, new offensive coordinator. The team has to try to acclimate to a new offensive coordinator. And oh, by the way, there's no preseason. There's no, <laughs> there's this whole COVID-related truncated offseason. 
don't doubt that Tua is heads above Ryan Fitzpatrick in terms of the ceiling of their talents. But from the perspective of yourself, how close is he to matching Ryan Fitzpatrick in terms of floor right now? Well, I think I think this has really, really hurt the case for him starting. Uh, we had a thing going on our on our podcast where uh, myself and, and Chris, we were like the the Tua Tonga truthers, where we're say, we're thinking that he's starting week one, and Simon was saying no, there's no chance he will start week one. I think that it's pretty much cemented at this point that he won't, and that's because no preseason. Had there been a preseason, even two games, I was pretty certain that he was going to dis- distinguish himself above Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think. He would be one of the best backups in the NFL today, if he if he was if he got that job. But since there is no preseason, it's going to be so hard for for Tua Tagovailoa to overtake him in such a short time. So I would say maybe he takes the job in the first month, especially if they're doing bad. But if they're just doing mediocre and they don't get the production they want out of the out of the quarterback position or the, the passing game. Brian Flores has shown a tendency to play young guys and play them early, and he will never play a guy who is inferior to another one based on seniority or because he's been here longer or because he gets paid more. Uh, he's a guy who will play who is best, and I can't see how after he watches him for a month in practice and sees the obvious, how Tua Tungabayola sits out the season. So that red shirt idea that a lot of people had, I don't think that has any merit. I think he'll end up the starter, but a little later than sooner, I'm afraid. Chris, it's crazy that we're going to have to wait for Sundays in September to find that out. Yeah. But, hey, that works out for people who don't, people across the country who don't live in their home cities and can't get their games on broadcast TV. They're in luck because direct TV Sundays, Sundays, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. And with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. You're never going to miss your favorite teams or favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. That's visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Now, Chris, I have, I'm a season ticket holder for yeah. 10 years. Yep, I'm in year two. And for seven years of that, I've held the Sunday ticket. I pay for it because, I do, Chris, how brutal is it when you get home you want to celebrate the fact the Bills won. You want to relax and watch a good football game, and you can't. Because whatever's on broadcast TV, it's the Bengals playing the Browns. It's a travesty. It, it's, it's a joke. You, you can't watch that. No, you can't. I like the Sunday ticket because it gives me options to watch football the way I want to watch it. And on the days when I'm at home, I don't have to go to the bar. I don't have to go out. I can host people at my home and still get that game day bar experience with 20 people in my basement Two flat screen TVs, the Sunday ticket on one, the Bills game on the other. It's a great time. Folks, make sure you go check it out wherever you're hailing from. Yes, and have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. 
Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon the sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code ROCKPILE or DealDash.FM slash ROCKPILE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash ROCKPILE. Now, Elf, being a professional as yourself, how, how do we do on those live rates? Very, very well. Yeah, <laughs> nice and smooth, and the delivery was right on cadence, so they were well done. I, you know what? I appreciate you saying that because we've botched. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're new to this whole ad read stuff. Oh, we're hacks when it comes to read. I couldn't stop laughing at you, Chris. Your face. I, you, you're. That's why I do it when you're not here. With that mohawk, I can't take. If people could see you advertising a product with that mohawk, they'd, they'd boycott. They'd buy everything. Elf, <laughs> back to you, sir. Getting back to you and the Miami Dolphins, roster Q&A. I want to know the makeup of this team. And for I guess that starts with the expected draft class contributions. I mean, this is a tough ask this season. It's a question we ask every year of every guest we have on. But this year, it's almost really hard to expect any rookie to come in and contribute right away. Would you agree with that, being as plugged into the draft as you are? Yes, yes, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, today, Riley Reef, veteran offensive lineman, was talking to Pro Football Talk, and he said that he feels like the lack of a preseason is going to make acclimation harder for offensive linemen because so much of what they do in terms of execution involves using their physicality and live reps. And we have two rookies on that offensive line. And that's what I wanted. That's where I want to start with this. What do you expect? I mean, you've got your first round pick in Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle out of USC. The book on him is that he's a player who's more athlete than a refined left tackle prospect. Yes. And uh, I don't know if he's the guy that we're actually putting a lot of eggs in, you know, in a basket with. The guy that we are putting a lot of eggs in a basket with is Robert Hunt because uh, he's a guy who's versatile enough to play guard and tackle, and I think they're going to try him out at right tackle and allow him to fail there before they kick him back inside. So I think they might give him the job from day one at right tackle. And we have a left-handed quarterback coming up, so it's kind of an important spot. Mm. So Austin Jackson's a guy that I, I didn't like the draft pick when it happened because I thought he was a developmental guy. And I liked Josh Jones a little bit better from Houston. No, that's fair. No, that's fair. A lot of people in the draft community felt that way. And I mean... We've we been, liked that he, you guys took Austin Jackson because we took AJ in the second round. Who? Well, anybody who wants to see the video, go to talk. Uh, we'll put a link in the show description, TalkingGiants.com. Every time this comes up, I feel like I have to plug it because it's one of the best analysis pieces I've seen in a while. We're an, a former off- NFL offensive lineman and a podcaster on video break down the bowl game where Jackson goes up against Epinesa. And that was the game that led to Epinesa breaking one of USC's quarterback's arms and almost killing the other one. And all of them came in pass pass protection sets against Jackson. Yeah, Austin Jackson is a developmental guy. There's no there's there's no other way to to say it. he's a great athlete. He looks like a million bucks out there in uniform, but he's not a guy that's ready to play, in my opinion. At least not now. 
Robert Hunt, I believe, is. He has a certain maturity to, to him where I think he's a starter from day one and I think a pretty good performer. Very, you know, he's re- very reminiscent of a guy who used to be here in Jawan James, who actually was in Denver, Denver now and then opted out for the season. So he's a guy that, that we are pretty happy with as far as for this season. Who else? The other rookies, Solomon Kinley is, you know, a big guard. I think he's going to get a shot to play a little bit. He's going to get a shot to win a, a spot on the line. But Austin Jackson's the one that, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work out this year, but it's somebody that they want going forward, for sure. <laughs> and then I have a question about your other first-round draft pick, and that's, this, this is more just, I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, Chris. I'm not trying to be a jerk here. Cornerback Noah Alphabet Soup. Because I don't know what the hell that last name is, and I'm sure as hell not going to try to pronounce it on a podcast. It's Igbenagane. Igbenigba. Igbe. Igbenagane. Although we're just going to start changing his name to Igbo. Yeah, Igbo. Igbo. Not going to matter when he plays the Buffalo. Yeah, it's Colby. He can't cover Cole Beasley. No, what? That's what I'm calling him. I mean, that last name is a disaster. But if they shorten it to Igbo, at least we can get behind that. He wasn't a first-round talent, according to most draft people. Now, yourself, coming from a draft background, what did you think of that pick? Well, uh, my partner on the podcast, Chris Kaufman, was over the moon with the pick because he was, in, and, and in all of our opinions, by the way, on the podcast, he was the clear-cut best slot corner in the draft. All right. And a developing one at that because he used to play wide receiver, so he hasn't played cornerback that long so who knows maybe he's going to get a little bit better as far as playing the boundary in the future in case that Xavier Howard doesn't work out here long term now he better after all that money you gave him well he could be gone in a year (laughs) remember we just gave a lot of money to Byron Jones we have the most expensive pair of cornerbacks in the history of pro football I believe (laughs) so so if if he doesn't work out in a couple of years, I guess we have the the heir apparent. Now we have some some, uh, uh, I guess, experience with this. We've seen it before, and it's really really worked out for us in the past. You know, namely with with guys like um, like uh, Patrick Sertan mm-hmm. and Bobby McCain, guys that were drafted as specialists to play the slot, and then ended up becoming good performers elsewhere. Uh, especially Sertan, who was a really yeah. good NFL player. Sertan for two his, teams. His son played for uh, Alabama. I'm, yeah. I'm and it's going to be a first-round pick this coming year. I'm very familiar with the pedigree. Now, when we look at your roster overall, strengths and weaknesses, what would you say is one of the biggest strengths of the Miami Dolphins roster in 2020? Uh, the secondary. I would say the secondary is a, is a pretty good, pretty big strength. And I think the bodies on the defensive line, they have a lot of capable guys now, what on is the defensive line. Is it... Like when you look at the defense that's put together here by Sean McDermott in Buffalo, we talk about the fact that I, Chris in our show earlier we talked about um, the fact that together they they work like a Spartan phalanx in the sense that they are individually talented, but none of them outside of Trey White is a world beater, someone who every team must respect all of the time. And yet somehow when you mix our secondary with our linebackers and coverage, they make this elite unit. And it's mostly because of scheme and coaching. Now, do you, when you talk about the defensive backs being a strength, obviously they spent a lot of money. How do they fit in terms of the coaching and the, the style of play that 
Flores is going to bring to the table? Well, we play a lot of man-to-man, and they're going to play a lot of quarters. So uh, one thing about Byron Jones is that he's had success playing safety as well. So it, conceivably, he could be a guy that could play, you know, could play strong side corner and then play free safety in certain sets. In a cover three, he could be the, the single high guy. So uh, the, that versatility alone is going to be of great help. And then we had uh, Eric Rowe, who, who had a very good season last year. And a guy who came on toward the end of the year last year, Nick Needham. So there's a lot of talent like sprinkled in around the two stars that we have at cornerback. So you got to figure that a guy like Brian Flores, and that's his specialty, by the way, is secondary play, is you know is going to make a lot of hay with those guys. Oh, absolutely. So then when you look at where this team is the weakest, in your opinion, what is the Achilles heel of the 2020 Miami Dolphins? That the offensive line blows up everything they try to do. Uh, and it doesn't really matter as much. Now, the, re- the reason I just clapped, one of my favorite things from 2019 was just dunking all over Jets fans who were delusional enough to think that Le'Veon Bell was going to be the savior of that offense. Not because he lacks talent, but because of who their head coach was and what that man seems to do to every single offensive line and their performance that he gets his hands on. When you look at Gase's career as a head coach, even the Jay Ajayi year where they made the playoffs and he ran wild all over Buffalo in that Christmas Eve game, he somehow fielded simultaneously the worst pass-protecting and the worst run-blocking offensive lines in the league. NFL, he's been the worst at both of them simultaneously. Like, he's been bottom, by at least bottom eight. In all and, he famously, of- and he famously said one time down here that guards did not matter. <laughs> so, Tell so it to John you, Feliciano. You I mean, you, you having lived that, I almost feel bad for you. Because the man is an ass. He's a hack. And when he gets his hands on an offensive line, he, Chris, he doesn't develop talent. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And one of the big beefs we're finding now from our Jets, the the Jets people that we kind of correspond with and talk to and the guys who run film, is that this is a guy who doesn't, he doesn't try to, he has a scheme in mind. He has a, he, he builds his game plan. He doesn't care if the offensive lineman can't execute it. He just says, hey, well, that's your job. Go do it. Yeah, and his tenure here was was a strange one because we went from, a really exciting rookie year for Adam Gase in 2016 where we make the playoffs, we won 10 games, and we had an exciting team. We won some close games. We won, you know, a great shootout in Buffalo. That was that was that was as much as about Was as it much great? Fun. I left. I left before the kick before I'd say 2 minutes into overtime. I looked at my buddy and go, "What the hell are we still doing here? I've seen this movie. I know how it ends. It's Christmas Eve. Let's go the hell home." Yeah, and then the following year, Tannehill gets hurt, and then Adam Gase brings in Jay Cutler, spends <laughs> a ton of money to do it, and you start to see the flaws. And then the final year here, it was obvious that this guy was not going to be for long as a head coach. And he wasn't down with what the front office wanted to do. So they cut him loose, and it was obvious he was not the right man for the job. Oh, absolutely not. But the problem is the after... There's always a ripple effect. Opportunity costs, we call it in business. And the opportunity cost of hiring a coach like Adam Gase is that he left that Miami offensive line in shambles, whereas mm. other coaches would have maybe tried to foster some growth there. So what you, I mean, you, I remember, what was it, after a, a loss to Cincinnati, he fired 
half the offensive line. Cut half mm-hmm. the people and said, well, if we can't get guys who want to be there. And it's a tough guy act. But what you did was you jettisoned NFL talent. And you replaced them with guys who aren't. So now when I look at this offensive line, here's what I see. You have a lack of experience and proven depth. Three quote-unquote starters had 15 starts in 2019. Your center, your guard, and your right tackle. The left tackle and left guard had eight combined, which means they're not NFL starters. Behind the five currently at the top of the depth chart, if you go to ourlads.com, in terms of primary backups, there's only one player, some guy named Sutherland that I've never heard of, who has an NFL snap to his credit. So essentially, this looks like you guys are banking on a ton of rookies to kind of step forward and push mediocre veterans for jobs. Is that about right? Essentially. Uh, we have a we have one guy on that offensive line in Jesse Davis who's at least an average NFL starter. Like, And he's an average NFL starter at many positions. He's played everything. And supposedly they're going to give him a shot even at center. <laughs> Although I don't know if, if that's, you know, that's really going to hold up. Now, Ted Karras had a good season last year, but we don't consider him a top-flight center in the NFL. Michael Dieter had a terrible year last year. And Deion Calhoun, uh, you know, we call him Shaq Calhoun, uh, he had his moments, but he's probably not an NFL starter going forward either. So what are they really hoping for? They have one guy in Robert Hunt, which we all really like. Like everybody down here, at least in the draft community, really likes Robert Hunt and what he can give them going forward. We have a developmental guy in Austin Jackson, and then we got a road grader in Solomon Kinley. I don't know how they're going to do it. On the face of it, it just looks like another bad offensive line, but at least it's young and it has a complete makeover. Like uh, they have one, two, three. I'm counting them right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys in camp this year that were not there last year on that offensive line. Now, Chris, you know I'm a petty Petty man. Yes. And I, when I find something that I don't like about an opposing team or when I find something I can rib somebody else about, I roll around in it like a dog found something on a wall. <laughs> like, hey, you roll around in it for years. For years, I will rub it in. But I want to not to almost to give a sense of optimism. The lack of talent up front might actually be, at least in my opinion, as an outsider, one of the reasons Chan Gailey is in town in the first place. Spread offenses traditionally require less from their offensive lines than a normal offense that would try to run 11 personnel a lot or try to run 12 personnel a lot. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, somebody who likes to run four wide receiver sets like they're going out of style, that kind of moves guys out of the box and takes some of the pressure off that offensive front. Do you think that maybe with Chan Gailey, he might be able to mitigate some of that? Possibly. And I've given it some thought in the sense that since he does like to run a lot of lead isos, what do lead isos really entail? A lot of double teams, right? Yep. And look at the guys that they got. They got big, physical, giant offensive line. That's one thing that you can't say about the Dolphins' offensive line. They went from NFL average size to oversized in one offseason because all of these guys are giant. These are big guys. The smallest guy on the offensive line is Jesse Davis, and he's 6'6", 320 pounds. So they went big, and they went road grader-ish, non-technique types, except for Austin Jackson, of course, because he's the (laughs) developmental guy. But Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt, all of those guys, they they play one way and one way only. So, yeah, I gave that some thought, but 
if you're already hiding things and they haven't played a game yet, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that they did enough on that offensive line. No. Especially with all the cast space that they had and all the draft picks they had. Oh, no, and that's it. I guess I thought they were really going to dive into that pool, and they didn't. They spent on defense, and I was really shocked by that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's going to have ripple effects as you head into 2020. Now, when we look at how you guys stack up in the regular season, history shows that teams starting the season 4-1 and one make the playoffs 77% of the time. Conversely, teams that go 2-3, and three, they make it about 22% of the time. And if you go 1-4, that drops your playoff percentages to 5%. And then from there, you're just trying to dig out of a hole. So with that in mind, I always like to look at the first five games of the year for each of our division opponents just to see what kind of season you guys are setting up for given the skill set you have on hand, given how rocky those first games out of the gate can be. When I look at your guys' schedule, I mean, first of all, the AFC East got handed one of the hardest schedules, if you mm-hmm. look at last year's win totals. Your first five games aren't as bad as the Jets when you look at their warts, but it's still rough. You go to New England, which I think that's the ultimate. Chris, if you have balls, you go to Vegas right now. The second that I find out, the second I find out there's, I find out there's a sports book here locally. It's going to give me more than plus three to the Dolphins. I'm going to go throw a couple hundo. I like the Dolphins in that game, even though nobody else does. Buffalo, you guys travel to Buffalo. Or no, no, you host Buffalo. Then you go to Jacksonville. Then you host Seattle. And then you go to San Francisco. When I look at that, what I see are four 2019 playoff teams, three road games where you guys were 2-6 and six on the road last year. But there again, to your point earlier, some of that was you guys caught fire at the end of the year. And you guys accomplished what the Bills haven't. Chris, still haven't. Won a game in Foxborough. Or we beat Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> it doesn't count! It doesn't count! They beat Tom Brady, and we couldn't do it, and now we missed our chance. We shut out <sighs> Jacoby Brissett. Okay, guys, I gotta take a deep breath. I gotta calm down. I'm, my blood pressure is spiking. Whew. And then you play. It also matters, you know, if they're gonna allow fans in the stands and all those. Oh my god! This year, of course it does. But and, looking at those first five games, there's there's two things that are constant in there. Okay, we always play the Patriots tough. Actually, there's three things that are constant. We always play the Patriots tough. Okay. Seattle coming across the country to Miami is a problem for them, no matter how good they are. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I would favor the Dolphins in that game, you know, with no problem. I'll take the money line against the Seahawks. Plus, the, the, Seahawks weather, the, weather be be an, the weather will be an issue, I think, for Seattle. If it's at the end of September and if it's still hot, that yeah. usually plays a role. Yeah, and then you have the other one, which is Miami going across the country to San Francisco. Not only is San Francisco a Super Bowl contender, you know, it's on the West Coast. So I would give the Dolphins out of those first five, like you have no idea. I have no idea how it'll end up, but I, I'm pretty confident in giving them a win and a loss in those two last games. Okay. A so, win against Seattle and a loss against San Francisco. So do you see them starting, what, two and three? Three and two? Something like, something like that. Uh, is possible. A win against Buffalo and they're off to the races. But I don't expect them to win that game. How good is Jacksonville? Is Gardner Minshew going to take a a step forward? We watched them last year and 
quite frankly, he was a good rookie quarterback. If he was drafted in the first round and he had that season for your team, you would have said that was a successful first round pick on a quarterback. Instead, I don't know when they drafted. They drafted him what in the fifth the round, sixth round. Like that? So I think it was yeah, the sixth because they kept making Tom Brady comparisons. And I was like, yeah, but he's not nearly as hateable. I mean, look at that mustache. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, how good is Gardner Minshew going to be going forward? We do know they have weapons on the outside. Okay. So how, go- how good is Jacksonville going to be? They have a lot of young players on defense. So yeah, are they yeah. going to be bad? Are they going to be better? So we don't, don't know anything there. We do know that Buffalo should be. But you know, you know how those things go in the NFL when you say should be. Yeah, I would say if you Buffalo, guys, I would say if you guys wax Jacksonville after the game, you'll start seeing hashtag Tank for Trevor. <laughs> so probably. And see, this is the thing. And to your point, we don't know what the Cam Newton led uh, Patriots offense is going to look like. No, I mean, I watched him do a Zoom conference the other day. He looked like someone's grandmother. He had a bush gone. The Polish people here in Buffalo know exactly what I'm talking about. The man and he's injured, and uh, and you don't you don't recover from the injuries he's had, really. Well, you and turn don't. into the player you used to be. You do, but you don't. Like that's the thing. You can you can be healthy enough to get out there. I don't know if you can, be, but he's not turning back. And I kept seeing it on ESPN. He's gonna you know if they get Pro Bowl era Cam Newton. Yeah, no shit. If you gave us Pro Bowl era Jim Kelly, yeah, the Buffalo Bills are going to the Super Bowl. But that's not what we have, so I'll see you in hell. They <laughs> All of this talk about Cam Newton, I mean, we asked uh, Mark Schofield ad nauseum. We were just like, do you have a romper ready for this? Like, are you, are we going to start seeing guys coming up for their press conferences dressed up like Jack Nicholson from the, Jack Nicholson's Joker from the Batman back in the 90s? Like, that's what they, that's what I assume is going on here in New England. So when I look at the rest of your schedule, after the first five and how it lays out, I did notice one anomaly, and there's two things I'm interested in. Last one, your final game of the year on the road in Buffalo, that's always a tough one for Miami. I think that with th- that could bear some significance if you guys get off to a hot start. I'm not saying you can't. I think it depends on who starts for you guys at quarterback, and I think that it depends on a lot of things. Like we talked about the offensive line, a bad offensive line will tank even the best skill players. We've seen it time and time again across the NFL. Last game of the year on the road in Buffalo is interesting. And then also back-to-back game against the Jets. Have you ever seen that before in your time as a fan, in your career as a podcaster, where a team, I mean, I thought I was drunk the first time I read it. I think it was, I believe it was last year. They played and then they had a game in between and then they played again. This year they're playing each other with the bye in between them. So two games in a row you're going to play the Jets. That seems like a weird thing, doesn't it? Yeah, and last year, uh, truth be told, they lost to the Jets in New York, but they shouldn't have. They they took a really bad uh, pass interference penalty against Nick Needham, which turned a fourth and forever into a first and ten when the pass, if completed, would have gotten them about eight or nine, nine yards and would have set up like a 59-yard field goal to tie it. They that ended up winning sucks. it. sucks. So, yeah, I expect two wins against the Jets, and I don't think that – I'm too crazy to ask him for that. But oh, that last no. game against Buffalo is interesting in one respect. If everything goes, and like I said before, you know, in the NFL, when you say should, you know, you're usually wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway. The Bills should be the class in the, in the division, so they might not need that game. 
And remember, they're allowing an extra playoff team this year because remember they're ha- they're allowing seven teams. That's true. In each conference, maybe the Dolphins are playing that game for their ninth win, and the Bills are you know have nothing to play for. Nothing to play for, and Chris, they don't play Josh Allen for that would, game. What would you the do, Dolphins Chris? The Dolphins go balls out to win it, and they take it. <laughs> what would you do if our final home game, like last year, you and I sat there in the stands watching the Bills-Jets game, Week 17, going, this is alien. Yeah, we had- We've never been to a Week 17 game where it didn't matter. So with our starters on the bench, it's like, what are we doing here? I've never experienced this in my life. Chris... If we that was another be- another thing that Adam Gase did in 2016 when we beat the Bills in Week 16. We go to Week 17. We have nothing to play for because we already have 10 wins. We play the Patriots. The Patriots needed the game, and Adam Gase goes balls out and gets the entire offensive line and defensive line injured in the last <laughs> game of the season when we didn't have nothing to play for against the <laughs> Patriots. And of course, the following week we play the Steelers in the playoffs and we lose by two touchdowns. Oh my God, that game! That game was over before I came home with the pizza. I left and I came home. I was like, "What the hell happened? Why is Miami losing by this much already?" So, Chris, us as Bills fans, think about that. Week seventeen, we could be sitting there watching Miami hand us our ass because everybody's on the bench. We better not. <laughs> I, I never like losing to Miami. Doesn't matter if there's any if there's. Something or nothing to play for. I always want to beat Miami. Before we finalize this, wrap it up, get your final thoughts, I want to ask a question. As mm. far as rivalries are go in your head, when you think of rivals, <sighs> me, myself, I just hate Tom Brady. I hate Bill Belichick. I hate. I think I hate them because I've been around for 10 years. I've had to go to the stadium and just hope and pray that I could get a taste of what we had in 2011 when... We somehow miraculously beat them after being up, tw- after being down twenty-one nothing. It turns out I never got that. They stole more Sundays from me and chased me out of the stadium in a fit of rage, more Sundays than any other football team. So I hate them as an adult. But if I look back over the course of my life, I still feel like because of the rivalry in the '90s, where we started talking about Dan Marino and Jim Kelly. This whole mm-hmm. conversation comes full circle. We started talking about how that's kind of what cemented this is like, hey, I'm into this and I love this and my teams are good and I'm going to watch good football games because I have a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's to me what defines a rivalry. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say that the Dolphins are bigger rivals with the Bills, the Patriots, or the Jets? Historically, the fans hate each other most when it goes Jets, Dolphins. But those are not. That's not the truth as far as the teams. Historically, the best rivalry the Dolphins have ever had has been has been the Bills in the '90s, because they fielded the most good teams in the '90s that didn't make a Super Bowl. The Dolphins in the '90s started every offseason talking about, okay, this is the year we're going to the Super Bowl. We need to go get a running back. Who are we signing this year? Okay, we're signing this guy. We're we trading for that guy. Okay, this is enough to overtake the Bills, and they wouldn't, or they beat the Bills. They blow out the Bills 37-10 to 10 in Buffalo after they, they traded for Keith Jackson and everybody's sitting around saying, ha-ha, we, we, we found what we needed to beat the Bills. And then, of course, they lose at home in the AFC Championship game later that year to the Bills to a bunch of screenplays <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to Thurman Thomas. So 
I would say the Bills, and going forward, it's going to be the Bills again, once again, because, like I said, I think they're the class of the division going forward for now. And Miami, I believe, is poised to challenge. So they could be the best two teams, and they could, you know, renew that rivalry once again. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for, you know, the, the, the rivalry to come back that we had in the 90s, but only with Josh Allen and Tua. That would be something that, that would genuinely, it would just make me happy to have that back. I mean, squish the fish. Every Friday before the Bills-Dolphins game, as kids, we would wear, they'd, they'd face paint us with squished dolphins, and we'd wear our Bills stuff to school, and we're, f- I'm eight. I'm eight years old. I'm nine years old. I don't get the history here. But I know it's important, and we fed off that, and we believed it. We bought into the rivalry between these two teams, something that the Bills-Patriots, we never had the back and forth, which our two franchises have had. Not only that, but then you also have the Brian Cox incident, which, yeah. if I can be candid, I remember as a, like a 12, 13-year-old kid, I, I remember seeing it happen. No, I think it was younger than that. It was like 96, I think. Yeah, so it would have been younger than that. But I, I just remember going to my room and punching a pillow and being so angry because not only did he flip off the fans coming out of the tunnel, but then they went on, you guys went on to win the game. And I remember asking my dad, can't they arrest him for that? And my dad spit some <laughs> beer out. He was just like, what? No, they're not going to. He was a huge, Brian Cox was a huge fan favorite down here. And a really nice guy, by the way. Went on to coach for the Jets and Patriots, too. Oh, and Falcons. He's I've, coached all over the league, really, right now. This is what a petty man I am. I found myself rooting against the Carolina Panthers, and I could never figure out why. And then I realized it was because his son played for them. Yes. That was it. I, I rooted against him. and He's everyone. defensive end. I would, see, I would see plays like something like highlights would come across the Sunday ticket on my TV, and people would be like, what? and something bad would be happening to the Panthers. I'd be like, yeah, screw those guys. And people would be like, what do you have against that team? And I could never put my finger on it until I realized it was because I knew subconsciously that his son was on that team. Yeah, and now he's here, and we hope he's the first one cut. (laughs) So as we move forward, projections and expectations. What do you think is a reasonable benchmark, in your opinion? Finishing the AFC East, first through fourth, where do you see the Dolphins? You've already gone on and said you see the Bills as number one. Where do you see them finishing in 2020? I believe that all four teams in the AFCs can beat anything. And when I mean anything, they can finish, except the Bills. I think the Bills will finish either first or second, okay, in the, in the division. Namely because the Jets are really bad, and I do believe that the Patriots are going to be not Patriot good. They'll be bad. And when I say bad, I'm talking about 8-8. Eight and eight. So they'll be that 8-8-ish eight and eight-ish type team that finishes either bottom or third in the division. I really do expect the team the Dolphins, to take a step forward from last year. They won five games with the worst roster in the NFL. They've added a lot of talent. you got to feel that Brian Flores has his program rolling now, and they could get Tua Tungabailoa to play 12 games for them maybe. So second place I don't think is crazy. Playoff berth would be I would be over the moon if they got that, but I think they'll make a good run at 500 this season. So – I think eight and eight is probably fair, but I think the the, the Bills are are an interesting team in, in that they could be anything from they could be a twelve and four team, or they could be eight and eight. They could take a step back. It's happened all the time. Yeah. Happened with the the Bears. Couple, uh, happened with the Bears last year. Everybody was expecting them in the Super Bowl. 
Chris, and they went in the toilet. Chris, so, if, if I do we, expect the Bills to be in the top two spots no matter what. But the Dolphins, I expect them to challenge for a playoff spot to be at least a game or two out at the end of the year for a playoff spot. So 500. See, I did bring up that comparison during the season. Of, Chris, of, if we go 8-8, eight eight, they're going to find me face down in a ditch somewhere. I brought up that comparison <laughs> of Trubisky during last season. Cause, yeah? You know, you're getting, yeah, you did. You're getting a, a second-place schedule. Our schedule's real tough. So this is where we find out if this is the year that we're going to ultimately end up having to pay Josh Allen his money. Because Trubisky showed that Chicago's not going to be doing that. And well, we to- did something on our podcast uh, a while ago when we previewed the offseason, and uh, we were all asking each other, okay, we all agree that now that Tom Brady's retired, the Bills are the best team in the division. We went uh, we went around the horn, and all of us were saying, yeah, yeah, they're, gonna, they're winning 11 games, they're winning 12 games. And when we finished the segment, I looked around and I asked, I asked my partners, isn't it kind of ominous that we're all agreeing that the Bills are going to be good? Doesn't that set them up for a disaster? Oh, my God. Yeah, don't put that evil on us. Don't you put that on, evil on me, Alf Ortega. Now, you and your co-hosts, you guys have a lot of interesting discussions. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find them all? Because I'll tell you, I'll be listening. I know that. Okay. You can find us on everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. Uh, we do upload on YouTube under the, the banner of Five Reasons Sports. And you can find me at, at Alf underscore Artiaga and my partners at ISI Clancy and at CK Parrot. So, and of course, our, our own Twitter page at three yards per carry, the number three yards per carry. Right. You can go on to Twitter and find Alf Artiaga at Alf underscore Artiaga. Great conversation about the Dolphins. You know, I'm. My one thing with the Dolphins, I like all the things that they've done this offseason with the, the, the signings, the draft picks, but in a COVID offseason, my only concern with the Dolphins is how are, they, how are they going to be able to build that communication with all of these new players with, right now, no time on the field? Well, and I guess that's it. That's the big question. It's the thing that the, I think it's the one of the biggest question marks for the Dolphins. I mean, I know everyone has aspirations, and Alf is clearly high on them. I mean, Chris, sidebar, doesn't that conversation have Travis on here? Yeah, well, that's what, uh, all we've known has been Travis for a And then Travis contact. went on to go be a professional working for the team. We've been spoiled, and yet Alf stumbles into our, into our lives, and now I feel... Chris, I feel like the girl who sees a hot guy at a gas station and goes... <gasps> how every woman looks at me when I pump gas. <laughs> when you're rollerblading shirtless down by the waterfront. Oh, my. Pump gas at a speedway with my blonde mohawk. Oh, my God. Folks, if you see Chris rollerblading, I give you the green light to throw a stick in front of him like the movie Big Daddy. Now, for, for, the, for the Miami Dolphins, they have questions, but Chris, arguably, who has the brightest future of any team besides the Bills in the AFC East? The Jets. I, I think right now it's the Dolphins. Yes. And it's going to be incredibly Dolphins. interesting to see how that plays out. I'm looking forward to the season, Chris, and I'm looking forward to getting to talk to Alf more throughout the course of our AFC East Roundup podcast. But we got to get the hell out of here. Thank you to Alf for joining us tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the AFC East Roundup. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. 
Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.